Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here and once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, Agency Owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners? Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we're hanging out with Colin Hewitt. Colin is the CEO and founder of Float, their cash flow forecasting and scenario planning SaaS application. Prior to founding Float, Colin ran a digital agency called If Looks Could Kill. He started it ran it for a decade and sold that business. He now has over 30 people working with him at the two float offices. One of the big goals he's achieved is hitting over a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. And currently they're working towards a bigger goal of 10 million annual recurring revenue with float. Colin, welcome to the program. Hey Brent, great to meet you. Yeah, so you've been at this for a while. We'll talk a little bit about your SaaS what initially, just kind of wondering about your backstory, what was the catalyst moment for you in starting the agency that you had that you prior sold? Yeah, so I was pretty early. Uh, that was 2002 when we started it. I was at uni studying computer science and really, I mean, the, the web was just kind of getting started. And a lot of websites when I started in 97 were, were really ugly. And about probably the year 2000, you know, Flash was getting going and there were some really interesting innovations happening. And I just was following those with interest and thinking like, hey, this could be something that I could add value to because I get design and I also get the technology part and the design part was still a long way off. So it just felt like a really exciting time and a lot of people were not making the most of the web and still sort of getting their head around it. So it was a kind of fun place to be at that time, just coming out with the, the skills to be able to make websites when not everybody knew how to do that. So you ran that business for a decade. You did have an exit. I want to talk about that too. What was like, how big did the agency get over those 10 years? It was actually, we kept it pretty small. So we probably were up to like six people. And, you know, I thought it would take off very fast. And I guess we wanted, you know, imagine we'd get the 12 people. And that was kind of always where I wanted to be. But, you know, we had a few hurdles along the way and we learned a few lessons. And we realized that we started building more software. We realized like we weren't really focused on the profitability of a lot of those projects. And a lot of the projects took longer than we expected. And growing the business became quite a challenge because when your profit margins go, it's hard to hire another person. We didn't raise any capital, so we didn't take a huge amount of risk. So there are lots of lessons learned that in hindsight, now we might've done slightly differently, but certainly, yeah, I was coming at it from a very green point of view without really thinking about how we're gonna grow the business. It was more of a lifestyle at that time. You mentioned you learned some lessons around profitability and you were building software, what I kind of hear is maybe you were doing some custom software development for clients. How were you doing that? Like when you say you learned some lessons, I mean, like, can you give us a specific example on that? 
Sure. Yeah. So like I said, it was the web was still really early and people were coming to us with ideas like going, Hey, it'd be great if we could update our website. And there weren't that many really good content management systems out there. So first of all, we like a lot of agencies in the space built our own cash flow yeah. custom content <laughs> management system. And then we, you know, we, we didn't build it in a scalable way. So we ended up replicating it on other websites. So each website had its own content management system. And then we realized, hey, every time we make a change, we're having to change it across the board. And sometimes it didn't like, so it was just a mess. And then, so that was one. And then we also, you know, realized just the implications of taking on projects saying, hey, we can do all of this for you. And then in the meantime, like that scope creep and the customer not knowing exactly what they wanted. And, and you're often as the agency taking a lot of the hit of that journey because obviously there's things that you only both discover along the way and that really eats into your profitability. So we really moved towards, before even Lean Startup was a thing, we started moving towards a phased approach. Like this is what you get for phase one, then we'll reevaluate and see what's important for phase two. That was a big game changer for us because it really gave us the ability to stop scope creep and to make sure that we were delivering what we said we'd deliver and stop points to reevaluate to make sure we could take it on to the next step. Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like now, I mean, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. People usually structure custom software development application proposals and contracts wildly different, probably more leaning on either time and materials or, you know, billing for a specific amount of sprints and an agile kind of method, right? Like nobody is getting on the hook for the most part. It shouldn't be for, you know, five and six figure projects that are like specked out and like, you know, hey, we're going to build this big thing for the next six months. And, you know, it's fixed price, right? I mean, people aren't really doing that. But I mean, we did. And I mean, we definitely lost our shirt on a few deals because of that. Well, that seems to happen. And it's kind of like I've seen so many other agencies do it too, where they're just not making, it's just so hard to feel like you're coming back and you're asking for more money. You're saying like, well, that wasn't part of the deal whenever maybe you should, you feel like you should have known that it would have come up. So I think as you get more experienced, you learn to set expectations, you learn to to do MVP, you learn to sort of start to think very differently about how you're going to project manage and deliver a successful project. It's a bit like a building project or some anything like that, where there's always going to be unexpected things happen and you need to be able to have contingency plans. You decided to sell or you did sell the agency. So was there a moment where you said, hey, we don't want to do this anymore. We want to go do something else. And that was why you sold or... Was it like a positive acquisition? I mean, obviously, you've gone on to found a software company. So you obviously this custom software development stuff has played well for your your current venture. But what was the exit like for you? Yeah, I had a point maybe six or seven years in where I was starting to feel like I wasn't clear what the next step was. You know, we didn't feel like there was an obvious growth step for the agency. There were two options that I could see. One was to sort of go into more complicated, larger scale projects that were government or just more boring stuff that we didn't really feel they were higher ticket value and start to take on those projects. And the other was to try and do more creative work, but there was a real sort of nervousness around whether that would pay well and could we kind of find that and source that sustainably. So both of those options were difficult for me to see. And the other one, and part of it was to, are we going to invest money in this to take on a business development person or to really invest in our marketing and our sales? And we never really had a huge cash buffer in order to do that. So I was starting to get like, the work we're doing is paying the bills, but there's never enough at the end of the month to to feel like we're really putting away and we're really earning 
were building up capital. And so I was feeling, you know, in myself that there was something that wasn't quite right. And I got an opportunity to go to a conference called Startup School in Silicon Valley. It was a one day event and I flew over from the UK. You know, it felt significant. And in that, I think it was 2009, I was sitting in that auditorium in Berkeley where I was listening to Mark Zuckerberg and Jason Fried from Basecamp and Paul uh, Bukite from who built Gmail and Mitch Kapoor who built Lotus Notes and all these kind of heroes of mine that I, it was just fantastic to see them. And, you know, for me coming from Scotland where I hadn't really, you know, you just sort of, there's a bit of a sense of, oh, well, there's people in Silicon Valley or the gods and they're able to do all this stuff and we're just mere mortals. I think it kind of made me realize like, hey, there's other things that are possible here and I'm just as good as anybody here. And sitting around chatting to people over a few beers and the after parties, which were at Dropbox and Airbnb, very, very small offices at the time, you know, it just kind of got me thinking like, yeah, I'd like to do a startup. I'd like to try something bigger. It feels like the world has changed. You know, hosting costs have gone down. All this stuff feels more possible than it's ever done. So that was definitely when the seed was planted. And then I got to go back to the U.S. a few years later to do a course at MIT over five days. And we started Float as a kind of bootstrap side project. And that was when I decided, like, I need to go full time on this. I think I'm, they have a phrase, burning the boats. And I think I was kind of in two camps, one as a side project. And I realized, like, this is going to happen. I'm going to need to sell the agency and go full time. So I came back and decided within three months, I'm going to try and do this as mess free as I can, keep our clients happy, pass on the work and just find a company that will take it off our hands. And that was really, that was what we did. So it wasn't a big uh, life-changing exit by any stretch, but it did feel like it got me enough cash to kind of be able to live for the next year and be able to kind of not frustrate our clients who, you know, we, we'd invested a lot of time with. So it was, a good, I think it was a win-win for us and for the acquirer. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about an exciting new software product that is really gaining traction in the digital agency world. It's an all-in-one marketing and sales platform and is built specifically for agencies. Not only will it help you save money by replacing all of your old software tools, it creates a whole new revenue stream for your agency, and you can white-label it, add your branding, and sell it as your own software product. That's why hundreds of agencies have already made the switch from Infusionsoft, Marketo, and ActiveCampaign. You can get more info and access their unlimited agency plan for just $2.97 a month or start your free trial over at IgniteYourAgency.com. That's IgniteYourAgency.com. You mentioned Float was started as a side project. Was that external from your agency or was it incubated within the agency? Are those other teammates or partners still part of your current venture? It was a bit blurry. So we decided to bring in, my co-founder was from outside. So I felt like he, we needed somebody outside to keep, so we didn't get distracted with it. So uh, Phil, my co-founder had done some, you know, freelance work for us. And I thought he, this is the kind of guy you start a company with. And so he worked on it in our office, but very much kind of a Chinese wall, kind of in terms of he wasn't able to get sucked into any of the drama of the agency work. He just worked on it full time. And then our marketing team, our designers did some initial like mock-ups and we were able to lean on them a bit whenever they had capacity. But really it was kind of a two-year incubation period that the company was able to give us free office space and a bit of design support, but that was really it. I think that, I mean, I've talked to, I mean, literally thousands of agency owners and so many people, because they're building software or 
you know, apps or doing marketing for clients, they think, oh, well, maybe I should go do my own thing. And I think that your story from the agency to float is something that a lot of people think about or want. I think one of the nuances here to your story that I want to highlight for our listeners is that you did bring in a co-founder. It sounds like Phil was working mostly, if not full-time, on the software. Yep. He started in the evenings and spare time. And then he, when he saw some initial traction, he went down to four days a week in his current job. And then he went down to three days a week. And then he went 50-50. And then eventually handed his notice in and was like, was full time on it. So, but that was over a period of time. And then there was a period of time where he, like neither of us took a salary. So we were working for nothing. Me off the sale of the company and him, his partner was supporting him. So it was really, really lean at the beginning. I think that was really good because... I was starting to feel that I was the one who was getting torn between, you know, client drama and being brought into that, not being able to buy into it. So I knew that it was me that was the one who had to make the commitment. And I think as I did that, Phil was able to do that too. And it kind of worked really well from that point of view. Because like there's, whether it's somebody that's even leaving a full-time job to start their agency or they're trying to use their agency as a launch pad for another business like a SaaS I do feel like there's this imaginary scenario where you're able to incubate the software and it gets up to a point where it just, it's so obvious, like, okay, I can make this transition because the SaaS is, you know, doing so well. Like, I've never heard that story in reality. It's always like, there's this moment where you had to say, okay, I'm going to drop this other thing. It might hurt really bad. I'm going to have to make some sacrifice. There's going to be this, sounds to me like a year or so of, potentially like cash flowing yourself from savings before the SaaS really kind of took off. And there had to be that exit prior to that, right? It was like you had to exit the agency and then kind of cash strap the business for a period of time. And then eventually it kind of took off. And I, I mean, I've yet to hear the story where the agency is like, oh yeah, we like cash flowed this thing and exploded and we were able to, you know, sell the agency and we were, we were all good. Right. I've never heard that story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, that's what you want. That's the kind of, you want that kind of risk-free transition. But I think for us, it was just, it's funny, but you just kind of know in yourself, like, I can't do both of these things. I've got to pick one. And it felt to me like, you know, what are you more excited about? And that, I was lucky enough at that point in my life to be relatively, we lived pretty frugally. And I was just like, look, this is a good opportunity. I've seen people here on big salaries you know, they're just not able to take the hit on leaving completely, but I can, we can make it work and maybe we'll raise some money. And, you know, I guess the startup world does promise that, you know, the funding, maybe there was some naivety to it. We thought like, we'll raise some money, we'll raise, you know, a million easily and that'll fund it. And then we'll sell it in three years and we'll be rich. And I think there's a bit of that kind of naivety, you know, if anybody knew how hard it was to start a family, like they often say, like, I don't know if I would actually do it, but I think there's that kind of part to how it goes, but which is useful, right? Otherwise nobody would do anything. (laughs) Right. I mean, you say it's maybe naive, but I think it's almost a mythology that has been created, right? That there's a, there's kind of this mythology around startups and what is going to happen when you just decide to make that leap. One thing I want to highlight, though, for our listeners is you actually did decide to start a family in 2007, which based on our timeline here of you kind of exiting the agency around 2012, I mean, you had a young family that was in the early days when you decided to make the leap from agency to SaaS. I mean, what was the conversation with your family around this? 
Yeah, my wife was very supportive. She was studying. She's younger than I was. She was studying for a while. And, you know, we just felt like we're young. We've got the world ahead of us. And we got pregnant pretty early on in our marriage as well. So we were, you know, we already had a kid pretty early into that. We were up for it. You know, I think we were just, and that was important. And I think she was always like, look, I trust you and you need to do what's right and you need to pursue this. And I think the vision for me was strong enough that A, I want to build companies. Like I knew that was who I was. Um, B, I know that there's a real opportunity here that we want to explore. So we'd feel like frustrated if we didn't take it. So it actually possibly helped us because, you know, Kath was decided that, you know, she would love to take a couple of years off to be able to look after the kids. And so she was kind of not working in that point. So we just had to learn to really manage our finances. And funnily enough, that mindset, I think, really helped A, us run the business and B, it kind of informed how float the product turned out because essentially it is a cash flow forecasting solution. So, you know, that experience of having to get really good with money in our personal work and, you know, finances and our business, I think really informed the product and who we became. That's interesting. I was just talking with an agency owner a couple of days ago about this whole idea of going from his full-time job into making his business his full-time thing. And I think what a lot of people want to do is they want to see the agency's cash flow, the revenue, you know, exceed their expenses and be able to comfortably make that transition. And in my experience, at least when we made the jump from our agency into this business and we were negative cash flow initially, you know, we looked more at how much do we have in the bank, right? What's our investments and how long can we maintain that negative burn? Because I didn't have any, I didn't have this idea that the business had to be cash flow positive on day one. Like I feel like that's somewhat unrealistic when you're not even full time on it. And so that kind of idea helped us to feel more comfortable with making the leap. Hey, if we have this much money in the bank, we're losing this much money a month. That means we can survive for a year until we have to go get a job. And, you know, hopefully by then we can get to at least break even or maybe we've extended the life of the business for maybe another, you know, year or two or whatever on, on a smaller negative. So it sounds like that informed Float. And I would like to talk about Float a little bit today. So you guys are cash flow forecasting and scenario planning. You've got over 30 people now in your teams. Obviously, you found product market fit in this space. I've seen a lot of cash flow apps People that attempted this problem of trying to help business owners project their future cash flows. Why were you attracted to this issue? Yeah, so I'm sure many people have been influenced by this book. I've spoken to them in the past called The E-Myth, the kind of Michael Gerber, you know, book that talks about working on your business, not working in your business. And I realized fairly early on that I was, I used to take Fridays off and journal about the business and sort of focus on, try to get that sort of bird's eye view of the agency. And I remember realizing like, I, I have to really focus on making sure that I'm not the bottleneck in different parts of the business. And I was in bottleneck in marketing and sales and finances. And so I was really conscious that I wanted to try and tackle these areas. And finances was the first one that I realized like I'm the biggest bottleneck. I'm I know where all the invoices and bills that haven't been paid are. I know I send all this stuff to the accountant at the end of the year. So I just thought like, there must be a better way than me sending a bag of receipts and then not really knowing anything about the finances. And so that was where the whole concept came from is trying to systemize it in a way that we just felt on top of it and we felt good about it. And the spreadsheet that I'd used for my personal finance, we applied it to the business. So I was doing it all on the spreadsheet and then realized like, 
this such a hassle updating a spreadsheet and um, with modern kind of cloud accounting solutions and this is before quickbooks online even came out you know we thought this is where everybody's going to go if we can take real data and stop the work that you have to do to bring the actuals up to date then we can cut a huge amount of time out from this process and that was really the big thing that made us feel like we've got a solution and i'd never seen anything really working like that before that wasn't very accountant focused you know p l balance sheet three-way cash flow forecasting that just felt like i don't speak that language i speak cash i want to know how much cash we have and i want to know how much bills and invoices are in the you know in the pipeline and that was the kind of approach we thought we could take and bring something unique to so with agencies in particular around cash flow i mean one of the biggest challenges when i go in and we kind of pop the hood on zero or quickbooks with an agency is you know, we look at it, it's sometimes historicals, assuming they're keeping stuff up to date is relatively easy to do because it's kind of, it's very black and white. Like you either got paid or you did not get paid and you either paid an expense, or you did not pay an expense. And the biggest challenge is that people just aren't keeping it up to date, right? It's not actually, you know, synced with their banks or whatnot or categorized. But then when we think about things in the future, agencies a lot of times, I mean, unless they're on a very tight retainer-based model where all of their clients are on a monthly billing tend to be very lumpy, where one month they'll do 120K and then they'll do 30K and then they'll do, you know, 50K and then they'll do 100, right? It's very lumpy because they'll get these huge deposit checks and things like that. And cash flow forecasting is sometimes very difficult because, of course, then all of the bills like payroll, rent, internet, SaaS, right, et cetera, are all monthly, of course. So it makes it really difficult for them to kind of project and think about that. What are some of the ways you guys have helped to solve that problem? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that we felt like, you know, the big problem with people keeping their zero and QuickBooks up to date is that there's no motivation to do that. Like, doesn't it? Just keeping up to date doesn't always help. There's no carrot at the end of that stick for to kind of why would I want to do that? It doesn't help me with anything. If I get a PL that I don't understand at the end of it, then so what? And I think for me, it was like, I want to know the future. I want to know exactly what our cash position is going to be at any given point. And that actually motivated me to make our financial systems really, really seamless. So it was, we used receipt bank to send our invoices to, so they were in the system. And then we had our bookkeeper update our accounting software every day, you know, our week. And that meant, because at the end of it, I could then see the future cash position. So that was a thing that it was like, look, you have to get these things in principle. And I think we knew that businesses could make better decisions if they could see that future graph. And to get that to work, they have to put the work in. So that was our kind of approach is like, we can help you get there and we can provide the motivation. The graph that you want to see is possible if you just do the basic principles and make this thing work. What's kind of the main benefit that you've seen for creative agency type customers for the application? I mean, obviously they can kind of start seeing the future a little bit, right? I mean, see different scenarios, things like that. Like, hey, if we do this in terms of sales, here's where we'll be at. If we hire this person, we'll be here. I mean, what are some of the insights that you would hope that somebody would be able to glean if they're staying on top of this? Yeah, I mean, for me, like accounting software will show you where your bank balance is today. But obviously, you need, you know, tomorrow you might have X number of bills going out. You might have different invoices that are coming in. 
you might need to make some decisions based on whether you can even make payroll. Or if you can, if you're doing well, you might want to make decisions like, why not invest in a marketing company? And why not take another member of staff on? So it's really like, A, if your cash is tight, you could be losing sleep that you're not going to be able to make the payroll or something bad is going to happen. And if your cash is going well, and you're, you could be sitting on too much cash. You could be not investing the cash because you're nervous. You're holding on to cash because you're nervous that you're not, uh, you might need it in the future. And by being able to have a really clear sense of this is the plan, this feels realistic, it's conservative. And if we do these things and we get paid on time, we can afford to pay ourselves more money or take on another member of staff or invest in that marketing campaign or the new office or whatever it is. And it's just that peace of mind, that confidence that you've got a good sense of the finances that you're not hoping rather than, you know, praying that you're going to be okay. So uh, yeah, I just think it gives businesses the confidence that they need to feel like they're on top of their finances. That's awesome. Hey, what's up agency owners. I want to tell you about one of my favorite white label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at E2MSolutions.com. That's E, the number two, M, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. So one thing I've always kind of been fascinated about with companies like yours, and you know, I'm sure there's lots of, in terms of like privacy of accounts and information, I mean, are you guys able to see like trends on the back end? I mean, obviously we went through kind of a crazy last 12 months in business. You represent a lot of different types of businesses. I mean, do you have any analytics in the back end to see like what in terms of cash flow, like what is a good safe number for people to keep in their bank accounts to be making investments? Like, I mean, are you able to pull any insights of like what you see successful companies doing versus the ones that are struggling? Yeah, I mean, we don't have nice dashboards for it, but we, we have done some interrogation of the database and looked at like what's the average number of like cash months people have in the bank. And it's surprising. I mean, well, we have quite a lot of different industries using the product. So it's different and it's hard to kind of compare apples with apples. But, you know, on the whole, it's surprisingly the number of months people have on hand, if they weren't to bring any more income is like generally averaging out like between three and four months. And some people it's less, you know, it's a month and other people, they maybe have six to 12, but the sort of average number for us was about three to four months cash available. And that's an interesting position to be, right? I think that feels, so three to four months with no income coming in so that they could, you know, float the business for three to four months. If literally income went to zero, I think that's, I don't know if I would have, I, I wish I would have taken a guess before you said what it was. I mean, that feels... I mean, it does feel like it's not as much as the rule of thumb of like have six months, you know, cash on hand kind of stuff. But, you know, I mean, there was times where we were operating our business for, gosh, man, two weeks sounded like it was generous. Yeah, absolutely. And not with those figures, we're not looking at how much cash is due to be collected and how much cash is Oh, That's a very, I think actually, you know, Zero have done some really interesting research into this. We were looking at just in terms of they've got a few public pages that they've talked about or they've put up, which I think are worth having a look at. I don't have the URL, but I've seen some of the work they've done and it's just, it shows really clearly the drop off you know, from March for some business, especially, and by, it does it by sector. So you can see like the hospitality industry taking a huge hit 
And, you know, some people have done some really nice analytics into that. So we're always looking at it and we're trying to get, at the minute, we're really interested in the number of invoices. Sometimes it blows my mind, the number of invoices that businesses are not chasing, like the amount of outstanding work that they have, that they're just not managing that process of getting paid faster. And so that's something that we're really interested in float at the moment is how can we help with that and how can we help get people paid faster and systemize that process so that they're not leaving things just to chance or to, you know, somebody eventually picking up the phone. Yeah. I mean, accounts receivables, I feel like there's a lot of times it's the owner for some weird reason that takes responsibility of that because they're the owner, they have a relationship with their clients. They have, there's like an emotional component of it. And they feel bad collecting on it. I mean, I've talked to agencies where they've got almost six figures in accounts receivables. And it's like, yeah. they almost view it as like a bank account, right? They're like, oh, well, I have this yeah. much owed to me. And I'm like, no, 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 that's in, that's in, if it's your client's account and it's not in your account, right? Like it doesn't count yet. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? I mean, I know a lot of personal apps like, you know, Mint and Personal Capital. What they've been able to do that's really interesting is that insights layer of like, hey, here's what we're seeing in your accounts based on other businesses. Here are recommendations that we can make around your savings rate or how fast you're paying off debt or how much. I mean, that to me seems like why, and again, I'm just throwing, you know, your ability to give businesses insights on cash flow is going to separate from like a spreadsheet, right? Like I can run a, a P&L on a spreadsheet and kind of get some basic like numbers, but that insights layer to me seems like that unfair advantage where, it's going to, it makes it really compelling. Yeah, it comes up for us a bit. We've knocked it back and forth a bit. And I, there's a product called Bear Metrics, which is a SaaS analytics app that we looked at. And it tried to do something along those lines, like a benchmarking thing. And I put our numbers into it. And it's really hard because you sort of look at it and it's hard to find another company that compares exactly to you. You know, this number of employees in this industry with the same pricing, the same revenue, and so you look at the stats and even if it says, hey, you're doing great, it's hard to know. It could feel like, well, are we doing great? There's always a question mark there. Personally, I feel like I have a good sense of if we're doing good or if we're not. There's certain things that I think are interesting for us to look at. Like, you know, it might be revenue per employee or it might be, you know, when you start breaking down ratios. And that's something that we could be quite interested in. But yeah, like you're right. There's definitely a piece of work to be done there. And to clarify, maybe like on the... Accounts receivables, right? Number of invoices outstanding, right? If they, I don't know if you guys have the ability to say, hey, if I were to remove this from average account receivable from net 45 to net 15, you know, what impact would that have on my cash flow? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's very much something that we'd like to be able to work on in the next year. Yeah. Cause I think people get like that they would have more money in their bank account, but they don't really understand like that cumulative kind of compounding effect of, having, you know, when we went from, we were cool with our clients waiting 30 days to pay us and 40, you know, some people pay us these 60 days or 90 days and we'd be like, ah, it's cool. Like, you know, it would show up in our, you know, our fresh books owed and we kind of looked at it as, and we said, look, why don't we just, one of our mentors was like, guys, just make everything do on receipt and, you know, and yeah. make that your way of doing business. And all of a sudden, like all of these challenges that we had around paying payroll and staying on top of our bills like it kind of started to dissipate right so that'd be yeah. pretty cool so dude this has been colin this has been awesome i love hearing about your agency story i love hearing about float i think you guys are tackling a problem 
that is is a difficult problem to tackle, right? It's in that finance space. It's a blind spot for probably most entrepreneurs, definitely most agency owners around where they're at in terms of cash flow. We open our bank account and we see the lagging indicator, whether it's good or bad, we see a number in there and we're not really sure all the time how it gets there, right? So I think you guys are doing a great thing with your application and definitely appreciate the support you've showed for our podcast. Are you ready for our lightning round? Yeah, go for it. All right, what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is your job as a business owner is to do nothing. <laughs> I think it's stuck with me because it sounds so ridiculous, but it's definitely helped me think about how can I get rid of the things that I shouldn't be doing or somebody else could do so that I can be thinking about other stuff. I really like that. Kind of feels a little edgy, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? I'd probably say the pursuit of becoming better and improving. So that's maybe not a habit, but for me, what that looks like is always starting to try new things. So whether it's meditation or whether it's this year for me, it's been getting into fitness, just that sense of I've got to keep leveling up. I've got to keep leveling up. I'm an athlete in business. That's kind of my mentality. So how do I keep getting better, sleeping better, eating better? Because it's all about your mental energy. So I'm always looking for that. And I think that drive to be keeping better is probably the thing. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app besides your own that you use on a regular basis that you think our listeners would find valuable? Yes, I am using an app at the minute called Digital Agenda. And it's just digitalagenda.app. And it's a small company, but I find it on beta list and I just really love the simplicity of it. I've never been good at to-do lists. I have an Asana, but it's a bit of a mess and there's lots on there and it's a bit overwhelming. So in my digital agenda, it pulls in my Google calendar and it gives me one place to put in what I'm going to do today. And I just, I love it because it's just so simple and so clear and it doesn't overwhelm me. I look at it throughout the day. It's my day planner and it's nice because it's digital. So it's the first to-do list that's kind of worked for me for longer than a couple of weeks. Awesome. And what book would you recommend and why? So many. I think for an agency, I would recommend a book called Get a Grip by Gina Wickman. It really helped us in float. Think about how we run our management team on our our kind of cadence of an agenda. So I, I think that's a fantastic book for getting your business on track. And the other one, if I can, is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. That's a, that's a foundational book for us at the moment in terms of how we build our culture and how we build trust in the team. Awesome. Well, we will link out to the Digital Agenda app as well as Get a Grip, big fan of the team over at Entrepreneurial Operating System and Gino. That was actually the book that turned me on to EOS was Get a Grip. The book Traction, super popular amongst our listeners, but I actually personally really preferred Get a Grip because I think without it, I would have tried to do it myself versus hiring an implementer to help us out. And we will also link out to The Advantage and lots of other nuggets, takeaways, lessons on our show notes at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Colin, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Well, just go to floatapp.com. We love agencies. Like that's one of our big focuses. So we'd love to help you get you set up and take you through it. Reach out to me, Colin at floatapp.com if you want to do it that way as well. Awesome. Well, we'd love to have our listeners check out the app. Love what you guys are doing. We will link out to floatapp.com as well as provide your email for people that want to follow up with you directly or personally. And we'll maybe link out some of your social profiles of Float and also for you. 
all on our show notes page. So if you all are out on a run or on your bike like me, and I just want to clarify, I don't do these interviews on my bike. Somebody asked me that question and I'm out on my bike listening to podcasts and not actually interviewing on podcasts. They're like, how do you interview people on the show while on your bike? And I was like, that I have not yet tried. But if you're listening to the show on your bike, check out our show notes, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. And we'll pull all this stuff together for you in one nice, neat package. Colin, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. Thanks, Brian. It's been great. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Brent Weaver.